My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Tara Erke. One of the central themes in grassroots climate politics in recent years has been the push to recognize that addressing the climate crisis cannot be divorced from struggles for justice. However, being able to articulate those connections is one thing, but it's quite another to do the hard work to build support in movements to shift priorities, goals, and actions on the ground. That work is ongoing, not only to integrate justice questions within spaces responding to the climate crisis, but also to bring climate considerations to a lot of justice-focused movements. On today's episode, we hear about climate justice organizing in the context of the labor movement. Tara Erke is a teacher in the Victoria School District in British Columbia on the unceded territories of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples. Over her years in the BC Teachers Federation, she's done a stint as the president of her local, served on the Provincial Bargaining Committee, been on strike three times, and spent her time doing the huge amounts of work required to combine participation in the labor movement's official channels with a commitment to building power through rank-and-file engagement. Then, in 2018, she read the latest report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC. That's the United Nations body responsible for assessing the scientific consensus around the climate crisis. She already had some awareness of climate change, of course, but this really brought home for her the severity of the crisis. She decided to make climate organizing, particularly climate organizing in the context of the labor movement, her priority from that point on. She and some other teachers in her local started working on these issues in a number of different ways. One important element, for instance, was supporting the youth climate strikes in 2018 and 2019, as well as doing their own organizing with teachers and with other unions to get them to support the strikes as well. They have also set out to build more general support for climate justice goals within the labor movement. To do this, they decided against putting too much energy into things like trying to win votes on resolutions at large labor conventions. In Erke's experience, environmental resolutions in such venues often fail or get watered down significantly. Instead, her group decided to join an international formation called Trade Unions for Energy Democracy, a global, multi-sector initiative focused on the interlocking goals of addressing the climate crisis, ensuring democratic control of energy, and enhancing the lives and rights of workers. Then, they sought out other British Columbia unions that were also members of that group and started networking. An important early step towards concerted cross-union climate justice action took place in April. They organized an event they called the Labor Climate Forum, which brought together more than 100 people concerned about the climate crisis from more than 15 different labor organizations in BC. In Erke's experience, there are challenges on both sides of bringing workers' concerns to the climate movement and climate concerns to the labor movement. But she does see things shifting. She says that in BC, the simultaneous impact last year of COVID and of a wave of climate crisis-related fires pushed more people in the labor movement to start taking climate change seriously. 
Moreover, she sees great potential in initiatives that integrate climate justice into workers' demands, not just in political settings, but at the bargaining table as well. In Canada, the Canadian Union of Postal Workers and their Delivering Community Power initiative is perhaps the best example. But she's even more excited by Climate Jobs New York, a coalition of unions, including building trades, that is advancing a set of sweeping demands in both contexts related to the climate crisis, racial justice, and economic inequality. Erke argues that mass labor action may be the only grassroots intervention with enough power to win against established fossil fuel interests. She agrees that, yes, getting that to happen is a, quote, big project, but she said that in struggles for social change, quote, there's often no shortcuts, so it's just a project we have to take on, end quote. I speak with Erke about the climate crisis, the labor movement, and the Labor Climate Forum. My name is Tara, and I'm a teacher. I work in the Victoria School District, which is on the unceded territories of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples. I've been a labor activist and a social activist for most of my adult life. Somewhere around my mid-20s, I really started to notice that a lot of things were wrong with the world and I guess almost accidentally ran into Marxist ideas. And the first time I was able to be active in a trade union, I decided that was a place that my energy should go. So my first real activity in the union movement was when I went back to school to do an education degree. I worked as a teaching assistant while I was doing my education degree. And so I was a member of the CUPE local there. I joined the executive and I was quite active. And I graduated and became a teacher. And then I was a member of the BC Teachers Federation. And so I just automatically thought my place to be active and to put energy was in the union. I joined my local executive. I actually became president of my local union five or six years after that and was involved really in my local union in the leadership position for about 10 years and also was involved in the provincial union. Remarkably, I have been on strike, I think, three times in my 16 years as a teacher. I was on the provincial bargaining team for one of those rounds of bargaining. I've always been very focused and a strong believer in mobilizing and leveraging power through engagement of the rank and file. So that's really been my political orientation. I took a little break and lived in Berlin for a year in 2017. And it was when I came back and was getting myself back into activity that I really started thinking about the climate crisis in a big way. I was very struck when the IPCC report came out talking about what we need to do to reach a non-catastrophic degree of warming for our planet. I have one daughter and obviously worry about what the state of the world will be like for them, but also for every other living person and being on the planet. So I kind of, at that point, shifted gears a bit and focused less on some of the trade union and other social justice issues that I'd spent a lot of time active around and really delved into the climate movement. Since then, I've just become more convinced that the climate justice movement in particular is something that's going to be really powerful in terms of building solidarity between the labor movement and other social justice movements, which I think is going to be key. And really only something on the level of 
mass labor action is going to have the power to upend the power of fossil fuel companies, which have dominated and set the trajectory for the last 200 years and led us to the place that we're in. So yeah, big project. (laughs) But also, I firmly believe that in many ways, there's often no shortcuts. So it's just a project we have to take on. The Labor Climate Forum arose from a group of unions who had joined an international organization called Trade Unions for Energy Democracy. This is an international grouping that focuses on bringing together unions that want to see a just transition and want to ensure that that's public. I had been to a few big labor meetings, like the BC Federation of Labor, for example, and watched as environmental-oriented motions often got defeated or watered down to the point of being ineffective, primarily because there were so many varied interests and there was a tendency, in my view, for large labor groupings to choose to do nothing or not to take a stand if there was even a small group who was opposed. So a group of teachers in my local decided that we needed to, instead of trying to ally ourselves with existing labor federations and do this work through that avenue, that a different approach might be to find those unions that were actually already on board and see what we could do collectively with them. So that was sort of the impetus behind joining Trade Unions for Energy Democracy. And once we had joined, the next step was to invite other unions in British Columbia that were a part of it to get together and talk about what we could do. So that was the origin of what became the Labor Climate Forum. In the course of those meetings, we decided a first step would be to organize an event and try and connect different activists in both our unions and in the broader labor movement to basically start a discussion about labor's role in the climate crisis. After you made that switch to focusing your organizing energies on the climate crisis, what kinds of things did you initially do? A lot of people within my local, I think, were engaged in the environmental movement and have been much longer than I was. So it wasn't hard to connect with people that had been thinking about these things. Probably the turning point for many folks was not just the report that was put out, but also the student strike movement. I got involved in those. My first instinct really was that the student protest movement was going to be really influential and had the potential to sort of springboard into worker action. And so I started talking to the other teachers around me. Because we're teachers, it was probably particularly impactful because these were students in your classes and the walkouts were happening from school. And so there was kind of a direct connection with your workplace and teachers were automatically kind of confronted with it. It was very much a live discussion topic. So building from that, a group of us decided that we should be really supportive of what was going on and we started to organize And then within that, we were also looking at what can we do on a provincial level and what can we do more within the trade union movement. That fall day, there was quite a bit of effort to get unions to go out with students. 
we weren't as successful out here in the West, although in Quebec, I know there were a number of unions that did actually have votes and kind of join officially. Um, here we had lots of people bring their students and participate as individuals, but we didn't really get to the point where we saw whole groups collectively choosing in that same way. It was around that time and trying to say, well, what's the next step in terms of workers' role in this movement? I and others started thinking maybe a little more about what some of the barriers were going to be in terms of that. Much of the debate's been around whether people are prepared to do something that is illegal because you're not in an official strike capacity when you're doing that. So the group of teachers that I work with in the Victoria Local, we actually established ourselves officially as a climate justice committee within our local, and we've been taking motions at the provincial level, but then also trying to sort of navigate these questions about what's the best way or what's an effective way or what's a way that working people will feel empowered and confident to take action that's connected to them and the workplace. Talk more about the barriers to bringing the labor and climate movements together. It's kind of harder than I thought. There's a strange division, sort of on both ends, because of historical division, you know, that kind of vulgar environmentalist thing. Environmentalists within the labor movement often feel a little bit isolated and that they have to kind of work on their own and that they can't necessarily win the whole union or the broader labor movement over to a position that's something that's not you know, a bread and butter issue necessarily. So the climate crisis is a, a major health and safety issue. It kind of is bread and butter. And then it goes the other way, too, where a lot of people in the environmental movement, I find, or in the climate movement, they're workers, but they don't think of themselves as workers, or they don't think of their union necessarily as an avenue for social change. Recently, there's an effort in British Columbia to start a, a provincial environmental network. It was a big meeting, but 200 people came to this meeting with 175 organizations. I've been invited because of my membership in parent group and climate justice group. But I thought, well, I should sign up our little union climate justice committee. And we were the only organized labor representative there. Amongst this quite large group with broad representation across the environmental movement, people did not bring forward the idea that, oh, we have to connect with labor and we have to get them on board and make them part of this community. So kind of both directions, we don't necessarily see people making that connection. But I have to say that the group of folks that got together, Trade Unions for Energy Democracy, I think it was helpful that if you were a union and you had already signed up to be a part of this group, you'd kind of already had this conversation to some degree. You already thought that your union had a role in climate issues and the just transition and so on. So that was helpful that the group of us who were the organizing committee, so to speak, for the forum were already coming from that place. And our initial goal really is to find those people who want to start building this connection. That said, I think the terrain is shifting quite a bit. And even over the last year, year and a half, a lot more people, especially within the labor movement, are starting to really see the climate as an issue that is going to be a worker issue. I mentioned before about seeing it as a health and safety thing, and that's really coming to the forefront. I think when the fires hit during COVID last fall, 
as teachers, we were faced with this absurd catch-22. Well, you're supposed to be outside because of COVID, but you have to be inside because the smoke is intolerable and you can't breathe. And so the issues of adaptation to climate-related weather events are, I think, bringing a bigger question of global warming and where we're going to a lot of people's minds that hadn't really been thinking about it. So in organizing the Labour Climate Forum and at the event, how were participants distributed within the labour movement in terms of sector, geography, union, and so on? The core organizing was folks from the BC Teachers Federation and from the BCGEU, BC Government and Service Employees Union, and the Vancouver District Labour Council. Like those organizations officially endorsed the event and also put the money up to make it happen. That said, we had really good participation from CAPW. Uh, and that is the Canadian Union of Postal Workers. At the end of it, and I feel really confident that we're going to be working with them more in the future, CAPW actually has the most well-thought-out, sophisticated, just-transition bargaining platform of any union in Canada, I would say. We did also have people connect here and there at the organizing level from Lubat, and I believe we had somebody from HSA. So there was, I think, some more interest there, but not quite the capacity to be as involved at the organizing level. In terms of the participants in the forum, it was quite a range. We were fortunate that most of the labor council did advertise for us, and we also had the BC Federation of Labor on the climate working group there, and they did distribute the information as well. So it's been helpful having the official endorsement of a few of the large unions and then being able to really use those existing networks to try and reach people. I haven't counted them up, but there were 100 people who attended the forum, and I'd say they represented between 15 and 20 different organizations, probably more tilted on the public sector side. Definitely, and not surprising, since the two main organizing unions are both public sector unions as well. But definitely, there were folks who heard about this through those labor council-type networks and were new to us and were new to them. So hopefully, we can build on some of those connections moving forward. What was the substance of the forum? We had an opening plenary with three speakers, and then we had a series of workshops. And then we had a closing plenary with a youth panel. So the opening plenary, we had Jane McAlevey and John Cartwright and Slado, also known as Molly Wickham. We were really trying to connect some different ideas together there. Jane McAlevey is an organizer from the U.S. She's very focused on building worker power, but she's also very cognizant of the climate crisis and really puts forward the argument that we're not going to address the climate crisis without the power of labor, that there is no other power that represents the voice of the many that is strong enough to actually move the interests that we're up against. Then we had John Cartwright, the president of the Toronto District Labor Council. He's been really involved in doing similar kind of work but in Ontario and how to get unions thinking about these issues and in particular, really thinking about them from the framework of bargaining. So he talked about some really motivating examples 
one of the ones that actually both he and Jane mentioned is Climate Jobs New York, which I think is a pretty incredible exemplar of what labor can do when they're really motivated. So this is a group of 12 unions that in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina really realized that things had to change and that they had to be involved in that change and what it would look like and formed a coalition and also took a climate justice position that racial equity and inequality also had to be a piece of what the just transition was going to look like. And with that kind of framework, this group put together a policy platform and then jointly agreed to both lobby the state, but also work through their bargaining avenues on really major initiatives, you know, significant targets involving wind power, They have in their platform serious public transit, high-speed rail across the state, retrofitting public buildings, solar on all schools, so that kind of level of platform demand. To see an example where the scale of the demands are at least approaching the scale of the crisis is incredibly inspiring and refreshing. The last speaker, Slado, who folks might know better as Molly Wickham, is a matriarch from the Wet'suwet'en and was involved in their land defense and the shutdown Canada that took place just before COVID hit. We really wanted to integrate that justice piece that was not just about inequality, but definitely we also need to be thinking about racial inequality and respecting the rights of Indigenous people. And then we had workshops. So each of the keynote speakers gave a workshop, and I gave a workshop along with James Kokola, who's one of the executive vice presidents in the BCGEU. Our workshop was called Bargaining for Climate, and we started to really initiate that discussion about looking at examples like Climate Jobs New York. We also had a workshop on green investing and that whole question of divestment from fossil fuels. And CUPW did some workshops presenting how they put their building community power proposal together and how that conversation took place within their union and what that's going to look like in their next round of bargaining in terms of really trying to integrate that into their bargaining package. And then our closing panel, we had five youth speakers who've been involved in the climate strikes talking about their perspective and where their movement is right now and how we can build better links between labor and youth. You've alluded already to the fact that there are segments of the labor movement that are at best suspicious of climate organizing and in some cases actively hostile because they're coming from a particular, I would argue, narrow understanding of the interests of their members. If you're having a conversation with someone coming from that perspective, How do you make the case that labor should get on board with grassroots climate-related demands? Jane McAlevey, one of our keynotes, argues that for starters, we need to focus on the 90% where we agree and not the 10% where we disagree. She says in particular, pipelines, for example, have in many places become battlegrounds. And she talks about with Climate Jobs New York, how one of the things they did was consciously decide to have unions only so that they could have conversations without immediately ending up in those kind of valid debates or conflict. As I said before, the conversation's getting easier because the impacts are starting to be things that people are directly experiencing. And the health and safety frame is definitely one that folks in the labor movement are very, very familiar with. And I think there has been a shift. I think also that the success of 
the movements around a Green New Deal and a just transition and the fact that we're starting to see some governments put some resources there has also awoken some of the leadership, actually, to the idea that there will be a response by government and that labor has a choice. Either you're involved in what that response looks like and you have some influence over where it goes or you're not. Do you want, you know, retrofitting jobs, renewable energy work to be minimum wage work or do you want actually the union movement to be involved in saying what kind of work that is, how you transition people from the unemployment that comes along with shutting down sectors of the fossil fuel economy. In the public sector, there's a whole argument about part of the transition has to be not just from fossil fuels to renewables, but actually where are resources spent in our economy and shouldn't much of that be actually in work that's around quality of life, healthcare, education, childcare, elder care. On one level, the course of events is just meaning that the debate is necessarily going in a certain direction because the crisis actually just can't be ignored and either decides to be part of a discussion about what that transition looks like or loses out in the end. And so that's motivating sections of the leadership, maybe that weren't really on board or that were afraid of creating those kind of divisions. In the current jobs in New York, they did have fossil fuel workers as part of their coalition. They did have their building sites. So I think we will be in a place where there's going to be an acknowledgement that the transition piece is happening. What's happening next for the informal network of activists that organized the recent Labor Climate Forum? Definitely trying to engage the folks we attended and sort of broaden the network. I think we all see it as important that we work within our own organizations on broadening the conversation about the climate crisis. You need to win over a majority within your own organization to be taking on these issues. But also, there are so many opportunities for us to be working collaboratively with other unions. And it's the question that we're grappling with now is, are there ways that we can sort of integrate those two things and make them complementary to each other? In terms of what we actually want to put forward as some uh, potential significant demands in the near future, I think there's some really obvious areas where it makes sense to be looking at doing that in a collective manner. Time to get to the place where our unions are seriously interested in creating a coalition that looks at developing a set of policies or platforms that look like a piece of the Green Deal. I think that's where we'd like to get to. How we get there is always a path that has means to interns. <laughs> so. You have been listening to my interview with Tara Erke. We've been talking about the labor movement, the climate crisis, and the recent Labor Climate Forum. To learn more, go to laborclimatenetwork.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.